this has just been a theme in our home, um, realizing gratitude is really the remedy to most of our problems. Yes. As soon as you catch yourself complaining um, or getting angry, th- those are signs of, of pride because we think of ourselves, you know, this is my kingdom, my domain, other people owe me something, things are not going my way, things are out of control, whatever. Um, ungratefulness is a symptom of, of pride. And so when you just stop and, and force yourself to think of what, what am I, what can I give thanks to God for in this moment? Yeah. Gratitude is a humble thing because it acknowledges I have received things from God that I don't deserve. You're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast devoted to equipping the members of Emmaus Road Church to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in the city of Sioux Falls. The people of Emmaus Road are committed to regular rhythms of gathering and scattering. We gather corporately in worship on Sunday mornings. We gather in missional communities and discipleship huddles. And we scatter throughout our city where we want to give every resident of Sioux Falls repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Make and Multiply. My name is Matt Groon. I am a pastoral resident at Emmaus Road Church, and I am joined today with Ryan Chase, who is an elder and pastor at Emmaus Road. Uh, typically revo- joined by Caleb. He is currently digging himself out of the snowstorm we just had. Um, I am lucky enough to have, be on an emergency snow route. So my street has been plowed three or four times. Don't rub it in. And Ryan drives a truck, so he's fine. So, <laughs> so <laughs> Somehow we made it. Somehow we made it. And we thought we'd just try and get something out this week, in, even in the midst of all the chaos. But we, we were talking before we turned the mics on, just the... Our topic today is actually going to be on one of the shaping virtues of in the Sovereign Grace Journal. Um, we had done a podcast a few weeks ago on on this journal that we handed out in celebration of our ninth anniversary as a church. That's right. And it, we had mentioned in that podcast that we would be trying to go through these shaping virtues in this book. Um, and this is going to be a sweet tool. I can already see as yeah. you and I are going through it. It's a sweet tool that's going to be that we can use and I plan to use in our missional community here in the new year mm-hmm. of just trying to cultivate these uh, shaping virtues. But the first one at the beginning is humility. And we, we were mentioning before about just the reality of if it, this is a humbling experience, this huge snowstorm yeah, we're just is. hit with of no matter how modern and uh, advanced in our technology and uh, we feel like, oh, we've, we've, we've got our arms around nature. All of a sudden, God dumps a foot, over a foot of snow on yeah. us and the city is like, whoa, we need to get the plows out. We need to, you know, I bought, I was smart. I bought a snow plow or a, uh, a snowblower last week, which was... Clutch. That's a good move. It's a good <laughs> clutch. I would still be out here. shoveling. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just it's a reminder, it doesn't really matter how important you think you are mm-hmm. or how badly you want to do something. Um when everything is just brought to, to a grinding halt like that, um it 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 should be a humbling experience. I mean, I think God has made the universe in such a way that there are all of these reminders in nature, just yeah. just from the sheer expanse of the universe, the yeah. size of the galaxies and the number of the stars down to weather phenomenon beyond our control. Totally. You know, like I think modern weather uh, forecasts give us some illusion of control because we know it's coming. Right. We think we have some <laughs> control, but we are at the mercy of forces beyond us yeah. that um, you just kind of 
buckle up, hang on for the ride. And all of a sudden, things like going to get groceries or yeah. going to get gas or coming in to do a podcast, all those things become like, whoa. Yeah, Herculean tasks. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's a lot of steps I need to take in order for that to be. And steps that y- you can't control. Like, yeah. for instance, my street has been plowed. Yours hasn't. Kale's hasn't. And if you don't have the right vehicle, you cannot get through this stuff. Yeah. Even if you have the right vehicle, people are That's struggling. Right. That's right. So it, it is providential that we come to this shaping virtue uh this morning and it's i want to reiterate what are the the shaping virtues so these are seven things that we uh that the the writers of the sovereign grace journal have tried to get their arms around what is it that makes sovereign grace churches sovereign grace churches now again you know that we have our seven shared value our um our shared distinctives our shared values things like uh, our reformed soteriology, our complementarianism, and, and so forth. Those are things that unite us more doctrinally, mm-hmm. more theologically, that make us distinct from other families of churches. But this journal, these seven uh, shaping virtues are meant to get our arms around, okay, what kind of environment is produced when those virtues are held? Mm-hmm. And then w- w- how are those enfleshed? What happens? Yeah. Um, what happens when people walk into our churches and it, Sovereign Grace churches and they experience something? What are those things? And so the first uh, of those shaping virtues that they've tried to uh, quantify is humility. And, and uh, Mickey Connolly, who's a a friend of ours, who uh, he wrote the opening chapter where he kind of summarized each of the shaping values. Uh, and he, he says this about humility. Uh, humility is foundational to all our other shaping virtues because without humility, we will experience neither the desire nor the grace necessary to cultivate mm. them. And that's, that's really well said. Yeah. The, these virtues come out of the gospel. We can't do these virtues and then work back to the gospel. Mm-hmm. These are a result of us holding to the gospel. And so if that's true, then we're dependent on the grace of God to, to produce these virtues in us. Um, and that right there takes a humble heart, right? right. That, that right there takes, some, takes you and I, uh, people in our church saying, I can't be humble mm-hmm. on my own. Yeah. I need God to do something. And that realization is is the beginning of humility. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about these virtues and I think that's helpful how you set it up to distinguish between doctrinal theological convictions right. which can be distinct and then virtues which really give flavor to a people. Uh, it, r- it really kind of describes the the culture. What what do you notice? What do you experience? What that's do you well feel? Said. An ar- an, almost an aroma. The aroma. Yeah. yeah, if you think about it as the flavor or or the aroma um and so then when you have several of these laid out, there's kind of a whole flavor profile mm. and each one affects all the other ones. And so if you think about our theological convictions, it, w- it would be possible for somebody to have um, shared beliefs and convictions. You could agree on paper about what you believe, but it's also possible to believe some of those true things and to do so in an arrogant mm. way. And so when you think about the, what kind of flavor does humility give to us Given these doctrinal convictions, when we are humble people, mm. how does that shape? Um, so I think that that's such an important distinction. And then thinking through, like you're pointing out, Mickey just lays out a, an explanation briefly. Why does humility come first? Is that just kind of an accidental ordering? No, there's a reason that yeah. that's listed first of all of them, because unless you're humble, you will not 
he says two things. You won't want to grow in these and you won't have access to the grace of God to produce these. Mm -hmm. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, scripture says. So if God gives grace to the humble and all of these other virtues are produced by the grace of God working in us, then if you are not humble, you are cut off from the grace of God right there when you exalt yourself against God, which is what what pride is. So it, it really makes it foundational. Yeah, it really is the starting point. And, and C.J. Mahaney is the author of the first chapter. So then the rest of the journal takes these shaping virtues and a pastor from our family churches has written a chapter on that virtue. And the first one is humility. And C.J. Mahaney uh, is the right guy to write this book mm-hmm. or to write that chapter because he has written a book right. called Humility, which is a must read. It really is. Um, mm. If you if you haven't read Humility by C.J. Mahaney, I, I would that would I would move that up on your reading plan because it is such a helpful start to any endeavor is to think through humility and, and you know see, uh, Mickey at the, in that opening chapter he he borrowed from that book when defining humility he says this uh, C.J. defines it this way in that book humility comes from honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. Mm. So humility is what is the result of honest assessment of ourselves. And that's a key word because pride, which is the opposite of humility, is ultimately a lie. I mean, that's mm. that's really yeah. why it is a sin is because it's, you, it's not, not true. It's not true. You are not God, mm-hmm. uh, which is what pride is. And CJ, in the opening of his, his opening page of his chapter, he references Isaiah 66. And this kind of references back, Ryan, to what you were saying about why it's foundational. Because in Isaiah 66, one, uh, particularly in verse 2, he says this, God, but this is the one to whom I will look. That's God speaking. I will look to this person. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Mm -hmm. So we can't access the rest of the grace of God without starting there because God is looking for the people who are humble. Yeah. People who tremble at his word, who are contrite, that that kind of, um, that honest assessment of oneself is the starting place. Yeah. And, And that's such a helpful beginning. And then CJ often throughout this chapter quotes or references a quote by John Stott. And this is where I kind of want to dive in. He says this pride in our discipleship, pride is our greatest enemy Mm. and humility, our greatest friend. Mm. That is the life of the disciple. So maybe that's, maybe that's a place to tee off a little bit, Ryan, of, of when you hear that Mm -hmm. in your own personal life and in your own walk as a pastor, as an elder, just as a Christian, How's that land? Is that true? Is that, is that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and just the way that I think, again, helpful how you set that up just to define what are we talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, honest assessment of ourselves is humility. Pride is thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought or kind of reaching for status or position or um, kind of an overinflated sense of, of self. And that is the enemy to any growth and progress. Because when you think of yourself in a, a proud and arrogant way, then you don't want to change in areas where God says you must change. You don't yeah. think you need to change. You think you're fine. You think you're you're great um, as you are. Or you're resistant to changing the way God says to change because you think you know better than God. You know, you just you you can't you, you can't grow. You, you can't receive God's word out of pride. So Isaiah 66, one and two that you just read, um, to have that 
first, that's a promise from God. This is the one to whom I will look. So you have God's eye of favor on you. You have God's attention on you when you are humble and contrite and when you tremble at his word. So that means, you know, if you think, why does God's word get a lot of stuff done in some people and not in other people? Hmm. It's not a weakness in God's word. It's about the kind of heart it lands on. When God's word comes to somebody who trembles at it, this is the word of God, Hmm. uh, takes it seriously, believes it, trusts it, applies it. Then something happens when it comes to a proud heart. It's just rejected right away. I, I don't need God to tell me how to live. I don't, want to listen to that. I don't want to pay any attention to God. And so of course it has no effect. You think about the serpent in the garden to Eve quoting God's word. Mm. Did God really say, you know, you, you can handle God's word in a proud and arrogant way, setting yourself up above it as though you are the judge. I, I reserve the right to sit in judgment over God's word, mm-hmm. to pick and choose what I think is true or not. Uh, that heart will never be changed or affected by God's word. Again, you know, apart from the grace of God breaking through that and bringing humility, a humble response. So absolutely that, that distinction there, um, pride being the greatest enemy to any progress, growth, change in the Christian life and humility being the key that unlocks everything. You know, humility is what's the the very first step, repent and believe. Yeah. You you don't repent apart from an honest assessment of yourself Mm -hmm. to, to confess is to say with God, God, you call this sin and I agree. I'm in sin. I'm wrong. I have sinned against you. I've broken your word. Um, that takes a humble recognition and honest assessment. God is right. Yeah. It it really is the beginning. I mean, it, what, what CJ even references and how you reference there in the garden, sin or the pride in his estimation, it is and was the first sin of angels and men. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, uh, what was what was the first sin? It was Eve, the serpent, the devil, whoever went first saying, I want to be like God. Yeah. Which is a lie, which, which is false testimony, which is pride. And so the beginning of all sin is a, a self-deception to try and become God yourself. And we do that subtly. We do that. It's not always these high-handed ways, but Ryan, like you said, oftentimes it's subtly in thinking, I don't really need to obey this command or, right. you know, it, this, I don't really need to be in community. I don't really, you know, these small little, yeah. you know, I, I know I, better. I, I know better. I've, I've got my life. Everything's going fine right now. Um, it, and even the beginning of our Christian life, requires, like you said, the contriteness of spirit of saying, man, I am not God. It's putting to the, the first sin, it seems like to be put to death in order to move on to repentance and belief mm-hmm. is the sin of pride of, of, I am not who I thought I was because God's word has told me who I am, which is a sinner, which is uh, somebody who has rebelled against God. But then also there's a reality of leaning into, which leads to the rest of the shaping mm-hmm. virtues, the belief in faith and the, yes. and turning to Christ of not only has God told me who I am as a sinner, he has also told me who Christ is and what he's done. So that really is why we believe it's a, a really good starting point. That's um, right. Yeah. So he then moves on to how to cultivate humility. And that really comes down to it. Like you're saying, well, guys, okay, I'm, I'm proud. <laughs> I, I admit. Well, yes, I, and we all are. Um, and we want to reiterate, these shaping virtues are not just, the answer is not, I just need to be more humble. Hmm. Um, I just need to be more joyful or servant. I need to give more generosity. Yeah. These, again, are results of trusting in Jesus. Yeah. So it, it's not like we can 
gin this up within ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that again is a humble reality. Like you have to recognize Mm -hmm. I can't do this on my own. I, I need God. So he, he, he spells out some really helpful ways that we concursively with God working with us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, things that we can do, like actively do when we find ourselves mm. um, in a season of pride and then how to put to death that enemy and cultivate our dearest friend, which is humility. Mm. And the first thing he, he says, the first kind of category he gives is to study the attributes of God. Ryan, why would that be a good... Why is that a good starting point? Yeah, that that definition of humility, an honest, accurate assessment of ourselves mm. in light of, he said two things, in light of who God is and who we are in our sinfulness. Yeah. Um, so how do we measure ourselves rightly in reference to God? You know, there, there's a measurement is, is relative. You, you put something up next to a standard. So if we are seeking to understand ourselves rightly in reference to who God is, well then naturally the way to cultivate that is think about God, think about the truth of who God is, how has God revealed himself in his word. And and that's where, um, well, like we started off talking about the weather and the bigness and the power of weather events and the size of the universe. You know, when, when you get into the mountains and, and you appreciate the vastness right. and the size, there's a, a humbling belittling effect. When you get out of the middle of nowhere and you see more stars than you've ever seen in your life, you have this sense of your own smallness because of you're standing up next to something so huge. And same thing is true with the attributes of God. When you begin to look at what does scripture reveal about God and you meditate on that, like Greg just preached on recently, um, and you think about it, not just nod your head, yes, I believe that confessionally, but you you reflect on that and ponder the greatness, the vastness, the power of God, um, you, you can't help but feel hmm. an accurate sense of, I am not that. Right. <laughs> that's what God is. That's that's what he's like, and I'm not. And and I just f- tremble at his word, I have a, a, a sense of humility. It, it's provoked in us, just, just like you know, the stars or the mountains provoke that sense in us. It's, it's kind of just a, a reaction to being in the presence of greatness. Right. And, and we have a description of this very event in Isaiah, Isaiah 6, where the prophet is given a glimpse of the holiness of God. He, he, he sees um, the temple filled with the glory of God, and you see all these creatures and smoke billowing out of it. And he, he, his only response is uh, verse five, uh, six, chapter six, verse five. And I said, "Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of Hosts." So Isaiah is sh- he's shoved into this reality of mm. this. He sees firsthand the relativeness, like he he sees. The, by which he is to compare himself to. And his only response is, woe is me. I now realize yeah. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. Mm-hmm. That is who we are in comparison to God. So the first step to cultivate humility is recognizing who God is by mm-hmm. studying his attributes. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he quotes J.D. Douglas in this chapter. He says, when we say that God is infinite in spirit re- regarding one of his 
incommunicable attributes, Mm -hmm. we pass completely out of the reach of our experience. (laughs) And that's exactly right. Once we recognize and start to ponder and meditate on the realities of who God is, I'm really not, you know, how often do we actually, when we're reading the Bible without even thinking anthropomorphize God, Mm. like he's just a, an a good old guy in the sky who who tells us you know some truths yeah and we might do that without thinking mm-hmm. but the Bible won't let us do that like Isaiah six and other places where we see the grandeur he is not us yeah. he is not like us he is one of one we mm-hmm. are one of a many yeah. so yeah. there is a just a thinking on who God is that immediately causes humility to arise, or it should, Mm -hmm. because any attempt for me to say I'm like that is just vainglory. Yeah. And I think the vast majority of objections to the Bible, Mm. um, struggles that people have, how could the Bible say this or teach that? How could, how could God do this or that comes from pride, uh, assuming that God is basically like us mm. and we have the right to sit in judgment over God. So so we come to the Bible, we, we, we read God did this or that, and we think, well, that's, I wouldn't have done that. Or, you know, as though it's our job to evaluate God and give him a grade on how mm. he's running the universe, which yeah. is why in Romans 9, when Paul is dealing with questions and objections about the sovereignty of God, his ultimate answer to that is, who are you, yeah. oh man, to answer back? To God, who That's made you? How, how can the, how can the clay say to the potter, "What have you done?" Yeah, and so just the fact that we don't think of ourselves in relationship to God that way, our, our first thought is not, "I have nothing to say." <laughs> I I don't dare talk back to you or argue or object because I understand you are infinitely wise and good and powerful. And I am not. Yeah. The only way to raise any objection is to shake our fist at God and to assume I know better than you do. And like like you said, the Bible just won't let us do that. It just right. sets out God as God unapologetically. Yeah. No need for arguments or defenses or explanations. He's God. He will be God no matter what. And he'll, he, he will do as he pleases, which yeah. is what scripture says, Romans 9. He does yeah. whatever he pleases. It really is, you know, the the way to cult the the reason why we are passionate about theology and about reading our Bible is to cultivate virtues, to cultivate these things like humility. So, if our study of Scripture, if our study of the deep things of God in theology and 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 things like that does not bring us to a point where it actually functions in our lives of actually producing humility, Mm -hmm. you, you can't study the attributes of God and walk away thinking, oh, that's nice. Right. <laughs> you cannot, that it should have that effect on us. And so, you know, the other things that, that CJ says in order to cultivate that humility, other kind of, I think it's good that we're doing this after what Greg preached on about meditating, mm. you do or feel what you think on. So CJ's calling us to think on the attributes of God, to think on the cross, what God has done for you, to think on the doctrines of grace, like election and predestination and so forth and soteriology and Mm. how God saved you and and all these big doctrines that we love to study and love to think on. We sing about them. We, you know, it is at the core of who we are by thinking on them and meditating on them and not just studying them, but to meditate on them should produce humility. And then ultimately the real, like we've said, is the doctrine of our 
sin. Mm-hmm. When we think on the depth of our sin, it, it, it's, conc- it, it's uh, correlative to the greatness of God and the mercy of God. Yeah. When we recognize, if we have a small view of God, you've, I'm sure you've heard this said before. If you have a small view, if you have a small view of your sin, you have a small view of God. If you have a deep and proper and large view of your sin, you will have the deep and proper large view of who God is. Mm-hmm. And that is a great way to cultivate humility. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, seeing ourselves, that's Isaiah, the story that you you pointed to in Isaiah six. Isaiah beholds. The, the king, the Lord of glory. So it's, it's the character, the attributes of God. But then his response is he's immediately aware of his own sinfulness. Right. Um, woe is me. Uh, I dwell among a people of unclean lips. I am a man of unclean lips. He's aware of his own sinfulness in the presence of a holy God. Th- those two things go together. So it's kind of a matter of which direction are we looking? <laughs> um, you know, in awareness of God, his attributes, and then suddenly you look at yourself in the presence of God mm. and have... have an understanding, I don't belong here. Yeah. Um, and even in that story, that it, it doesn't stop there. Like right. Isaiah is not banished from right. He the seraphim flies to him, draws a, a coal from the throne of God, and brings it to him, touches it to his lips to atone, atone for his yeah. sin, to to make him clean. So now he can dwell yeah. in the presence of the Almighty, and that is the gospel. And we have to, we can't stop at. Just think on the bigness yeah. of God and the depth of your sin. There is good news for us past that. Right. Get to the gospel. Right. Those Thinking about those things matters so that we rightly understand and appreciate mm-hmm. the gospel and the grace of God. Because if you don't, you you really cheapen right. grace into this thing that like, well, basically God owes it to everybody to be nice to everybody, love everybody, forgive everybody, cut us some slack. And when you think that way, God just owes this to the world. It becomes a scandal that God doesn't save yeah. everybody. Yeah. How, how could, what kind of God do we serve that he's not just willy-nilly forgetting people's sins? Right. Yeah. So we, we really cheapen the grace of God. And when you cheapen the grace of God, you'll have very little love for God. That, that's how you, you turn God into kind of a, a vending machine. Yeah. Rabbit's foot, kind of, you know, just uh, a lucky charm. Um, mm-hmm. you, you call on him when you need him, treat him kind of like a genie, um, because you just think that that's what he's there for. He, mm-hmm. He's there to do whatever I want when I when I need him, and otherwise I'll just kind of go on my way because life is mainly about me. Right. Um, but it's it's through an awareness of those two things, attributes of God and our sinfulness, that our understanding the grace of God is great and costly and completely undeserved. And, and that's what begins to stir that humility and joy and passionate worship and love. And th- those things flow out of that understanding. Yeah. The, the last thing before he moves into real practical, um, real practical considerations on humility he, is the, the practice of confession and correction. Mm. Um, because of who God is, rightly, great and glorious and holy, and because of the depth of our sin, which is full. Um, and because of the grace of Jesus who has saved us, we now have access to God through that. And we are now saved from those sins. And so now confession can be uh, such a sweet thing. And I think if there's one area in all of our lives that, well, at least in my life that I struggle with is confessing my sin because Mm. confession requires me humbling myself. It requires Mm -hmm. me saying, I was wrong. Mm -hmm. I have sinned because Nine times out of ten, I think to myself, "No, I I didn't sin. Yeah, <laughs> I was right. 
Yeah, it, knee-jerk reaction is to justify ourselves, excuse right. ourselves, explain ourselves. How often do I do that with my wife? How often do I do that with my kids? Of mm-hmm. like, no, I'm mad. I'm right. I am rightly mad right now because yeah. you've offended me. Whatever. And confession is saying to someone else and to God, I was wrong. And he he, he says this: let let confession be full and specific, not selective, impartial. Even in when I do confess, it's often. That right. it's often yeah. selective and partial. Confession, uh, confess overt acts of sin as well as present temptations, and let grace and forgiveness be abundant. And later on, he says, Every confession of sin is an opportunity to marvel at the grace of God in the gospel. Yeah, and how often do I just prefer not to? I yeah, just totally, I, I might confess it silently to God in my heart, quote unquote, but. Confession to another person, particularly my wife, is such a difficult thing because it, it really requires me to put to death my myself. And, and that is humility of yeah. saying, no, babe, I was wrong and I am sorry. And then the beauty of the gospel is receiving forgiveness, yeah. full and, and free. It's it's painful. Yeah. Because, you know, like we said, humility is an honest assessment of ourselves. And when you come to terms with the fact that you are not as great as you thought yeah. <laughs> and you, you sinned, you messed up, you, you, you did wrong. Um, it's, it's painful to admit that. Cause it's like this image of ourselves we've built up or, yeah. or we, we want to portray to other people comes toppling down. The image we wish we were. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that it's not there. And you just, it, it hurts. It hurts our, our pride. Um, and, and so to die to ourselves, mm. that's why Jesus says, take up your cross, die to yourself, follow me daily, unless you, die to yourself. You, you can't follow after Christ. I, I love in that section, um, confession and correction in, in the sovereign grace journals on page 25, he has a quote from Mike Renahan in a, a article called the pastor's pride and joy. And, and Mike says, sinners fall into two distinct classes, those who admit their sin and those who don't, those who admit themselves to be sinners fall into two more classes. Those who do something about it and those who do not. Mm. And that's a great distinction. Uh, you know, yeah. Clearly, it's pride to refuse to confess our sin. First John deals with that. When we say we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar. But another category is where you know you've messed up, but you refuse to follow God's prescription, mm. what to do about it. And, and you insist on trying to clean it up your own way. And I think that's where false humility comes in. You know, False mm. humility can kind of be the self-deprecating, I'll beat myself up. And it's tempting to do that when we sin as well. Like, yeah. let me just beat myself up for this as though that atones for our sin. Which is a form of manipulating other people to not actually forgive you, right. but just feel bad for you. Right. Pat you on the back. They're right. there. You're not that bad and stop beating yourself up. Yeah. And, and, and that's... False, false humility, false gospel. Yeah. Christ was already beaten. He suffered and yeah. died for our sins. So there's no need to beat yourself up for it. And I just find that, you know, when that's my reaction, I, I want to kind of mope around and make others feel bad for me. I, I'm rejecting the gospel. And mm-hmm. I can just, you know, to, to know instantly, you can turn in confession to God. I sinned. This is wrong. I have a savior. God's grace covers my sin. And so I'm not going to waste any time wallowing in this. I'm Mm going to get right back up and walk in the way of obedience by faith. I'm going to trust God. That It takes humility to do that. Um, So I I think that distinction has been helpful for me too, to realize that humility is not just a moping around, I am nothing, kind of trying to overplay this sense of, oh, I just don't think about myself at all. No, it's an honest assessment. Thinking about God as God, 
seeing myself in light of who God is and, and evaluating ourselves honestly. I think oftentimes people take those passages in scripture, um, misread them. You know, humility is not just beat yourself up. It's think more about other people, consider their needs before your own. Um, that's, that's helpful. Yeah. There are, there are a bunch of practical considerations in the journal that, you know, we just, I don't think we probably have time to go into too many of them, but, um, we just commend those to you. Things like, um, practicing spiritual disciplines every day. Um, just the habit of putting to death some of your time in your day of mm-hmm. your busy schedule of setting aside for God to read and to meditate and to pray and to commune with God. Um, even just the, the simple practices that, you know, we've sought to cultivate in our weeks of setting aside time to meet in our missional communities and setting aside time to meet in our huddles. Like, um, those are immovable things in our calendar. Mm-hmm. You know, if we have something that comes up on a Wednesday night, like, you know, another, like my parents want to get together or something. Sorry, we can't. We've got those, those times set apart. Even just those things of humbly setting yourself under communion and under those types of things, those will cultivate humility. Um, Begin, he says, begin the day uh, acknowledging your dependence on God. That, that's part of that process, just thinking on who God is, starting your day that way. Um, I thought this one was great. Seize your daily commute, if you have one, um, and to use it to memorize and meditate on Scripture. So if you've got to drive to work, um, you know there are helpful tools out there that will... Uh, that you can listen to scripture as you drive. You can meditate on scripture. You can memorize scripture. He, he has a story here of William Wilberforce was serving when he was serving in the House of Commons. He used his daily one mile walk from his home to Parliament to recite from memory the whole of Psalm one one nineteen. Now that is time well spent. Mm. And that's what he says, and that's excellent. Um, yeah. Any others that, that come off the well, top think, of your head, Ryan? Uh, number two, he, he says, as you turn your thoughts to God, set the tone for the day by expressing gratefulness to him. And yeah. this has just been a theme in our home, um, realizing gratitude is really the remedy to most of our problems. Yes. As soon as you catch yourself complaining um, or getting angry, th- those are signs of, of pride because we think of ourselves, you know, uh, this is my kingdom, my domain, other people owe me something, things are not going my way, things are out of control, whatever. Um ungratefulness is a symptom of, of pride. And so when you just stop and, and force yourself to think of what, what am I, what can I give thanks to God for in this moment? Yeah. Gratitude is a humble thing because it acknowledges I have received things from God that I don't deserve. Mm. He has graciously given me gifts, lavished them on me, not because I earned them from him, deserved them from him. Yeah. Um, so gratitude just kills our, our pride, forces right. you to acknowledge, I am saying thank you to God because he has given me things yeah. I, I don't deserve. And we can, uh, that very idea has helped me even in parenting. Um, you know, as you just described that, I, I just had a conversation last night with Adeline who um, was just in a, in a fuss about how she didn't like what mom made for dinner and she wasn't going to eat it. And here's what she wanted. And she was mad about it. And so I had to pull her aside and, you know, my, as a dad, at the end of the day, you're just trying to, you know, just want everybody to, you want peace. And so, you know, there's an instinct to just say to her, just stop and, you know, just eat your food and just do it. Cause I said so. Um, but I just, I just said to her, I think the remedy to this, or I didn't say that, but I think instead of being mad and fussy, just think on the fact that we do have food and mom did make you delicious food and yeah. just, and then as I was saying that to her, I started to think on my own, where have I been yeah. 
ungrateful in my day? And where can I turn to gratitude to, to God first and then to others? So yep. the, these are, again, these virtues are meant to function in That's our right. lives. They're not just for, you know, Ryan and I to sit around a table mm-hmm. and talk about them or in our missional communities to talk about them, but um, in community to practice these things. Yeah. And that's what's so vital about community is you cannot practice these virtues on your own out hiking yep. on a mountain. Like you have to be in relationship with other people. And the problem or the frustrating thing is that other people are also proud and mm-hmm. sinful and mm-hmm. have their own <laughs> battle that they're fighting. And so when we do that together, there is a, uh, there. that's what this spirit of right. this gospel community can it, can produce. It's, it's not just an attitude you have in quiet time. Yeah. You sit there and think deep thoughts about God and feel very humble in light of who God is. It comes out in relationship to other people. So Colossians 3 says, clothe yourselves with humility toward mm-hmm. one another. It, it's a one another virtue. It yeah. comes out in our relationships. Paul says in Philippians 2, think of the needs of others as more significant than your own. So, so this just, it flavors, again, yeah. it, it creates, it's part of gospel culture because it comes out in how we relate to one another, how we think about one another. Um, and it's, I would just say in closing, this, um, th- this is profoundly convicting when you, when mm. you read it, yeah. um, it's impossible to read it and not be convicted of, of pride and yeah. realize Oh yeah, I, I do think way more highly of myself than I ought to. I'm not nearly as humble as I mm. should be in light of who God is and, and who I am as a, a sinner in need of his mercy. And, and that's a sweet place because it just drives us back to the gospel. Yeah. That you know, It's not meant to just leave that blanket of condemnation over us, but to point us to Christ, yeah. which just further develops that humility in us. Yes. So avail yourself of the grace that is available. Uh, cultivate the, and the practice and the virtue of humility by thinking on who God is, who an honest assessment of yourself in light of who God is, and ultimately the grace of God um, in Christ Jesus applied to us through his spirit that we now have access to because of that work. So uh, this week is a great opportunity to, this weekend, this, this coming week is a great chance to start doing this, and especially now, the beginning of the year. Let's Amen. make this a, a humble year. Yeah. yeah. All right, thank you. Thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles, missional communities, or gospel fluency, you can reach out to your missional community leader. And if you're not yet plugged into gospel community at Emmaus Road, visit us online at EmmausRoadSF.com.